You're listening to the Branches HB Podcast. Because we are headed for Christmas. Christmas Eve is on Friday. I do want to invite you to our Christmas Eve services. Please extend that invitation to others. I believe they'll receive these invitations this year in particular. But as we're moving to that Christmas Eve service, it's really going to be the culmination of the series that we've been in together for the last several weeks, this Advent series entitled Sent. It was all about the setting and purpose of Jesus being sent into this world. Last week, we looked at how Jesus was sent not only to free us from sin, but to free us into a state of spiritual wholeness. And in fact, that's what we see in the ministry of Jesus. Everywhere he went, everyone he interacted with was more whole on the other side of that interaction, having met with Jesus mentally, physically, and of course, spiritually. Now, what I want to focus on this morning is that as much as Jesus was sent into the world, bearing that wholeness and all the other things we talked about in this series, Jesus was also sent to send to send us more specifically. He says this in John chapter 20, verse 21. It's one of the uh, final scenes where Jesus is resurrected. He's meeting with the disciples before his final ascension there. And he says to them, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So I am sending you, my disciples. And all the ways that we've been talking about how Jesus was sent, the fact that you know, he was sent to step into our suffering. Well, you know, I've alluded to this, even that first week. I said, well, we too are called to step into the suffering of others. As much as Jesus was speaking the truth that set us free from slavery to sin, so we are to proclaim the gospel message of what Jesus has done on the cross. We're to speak the truth as well. As much as Jesus was sent bearing wholeness in this world, we are that planting for the Lord, right? We're the oaks of righteousness that I talked about last week that continue on in that work of renewal. Jesus was sent to send, to send us. I want to look at one scene where Jesus does that very thing uh, and start here in Acts chapter 1. You don't need to turn there because this isn't going to be the passage that's the focus of our study this morning. But it does kind of tee up the setting of our commissioning. Acts chapter 1. I'm going to read it. The verses will also be on the screen so you can follow along. It says here, on one occasion, while Jesus, the risen Jesus, was eating with his disciples, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you guys are going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus says, hey guys, wait here in Jerusalem. I'm going to bring the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to arrive. There's another advent here so that you guys can be empowered. Verse 6, then they gathered around him. It's almost like they surrounded Jesus. They cornered him. They asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? It's like, Jesus, is that why you want us to wait around in Jerusalem? Like, you're going to take this plan of yours all the way to the end zone? We're going to complete this whole thing? Heaven is going to come to earth? We're going to finish this. Is that what's going on? He said to them in verse 7, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Essentially, Jesus is saying, no, it's not my time to finish this whole thing. 
And no one knows when that time is going to be. My time is coming to a conclusion. Your time is just beginning. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. You're going to be my witnesses, proclaiming with your words, demonstrating with your deeds what I have done in this ministry. I'm sending you. And we know that that's the handing over the baton because verse 9, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid them from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside these disciples. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. You know, what always strikes me about this scene is the abruptness of Jesus' departure. He's gone in an instant. I mean, in one moment, as we're moving through the Gospels, we've got Jesus, and he's healing, and he's delivering people from demons, right? And he's speaking the truths of God. He's teaching about the kingdom. The kingdom is at hand. You know, oh, we're going to finish this whole thing off. That's what they're expecting, right? We're going to take it all the way. And then he's gone. He's vanished. And all this responsibility is suddenly transferred to these disciples, who we know are these blue-collar backwoods dudes from Galilee, right? And it's all conferred on them. And you know that they're stunned and just as dumbfounded as we are thinking about it because there they are, like, staring up at the sky as Jesus ascends, and they're stuck there. And actually, God has to do some prodding. He has to help them along. It's not two seconds that Jesus is gone and God has to send two angels to give them the next step. You know, they're standing there, there two men dressed in white, men of Galilee. It's basically like saying, men of Fresno. You know, it's not an illustrious title here that we're referring to these guys. You know, the same way that Jesus was taken up, he's going to return. He was gone in an instant. He's going to return in an instant. Now get on with it. Do your work. And so this morning I was thinking about how do I convey that? How do I convey that weight, that sense of responsibility that was conferred in that moment at Jesus' ascension when he, when he sent out his disciples? And I found a passage that does exactly that. Matthew chapter 25. Let's turn there. It's the parable of the talents. Matthew chapter 25 as a whole is actually a bunch of stories. Parables that talk about our responsibility between the first advent of Jesus and his ascension and his second coming, the second advent. This whole chapter, Matthew chapter 25, it's like this building set of stories that clarify our purpose in the in-between, the responsibility that we have that Jesus has conferred upon us. So, of course, we're studying through the book of Matthew. We're going to return to that in the spring, in the summer. We're going to go back to this chapter, and we're going to look at it through a different lens. But I want us to just preview some of those lessons as we study together. This responsibility that we have as Jesus is sending us on the other side of his ascension. He was sent to send us for this very purpose. Let's read verse 14, chapter 25, here in the book of Matthew. The verses will also be on the screens. Jesus is telling this parable again. It, meaning the kingdom of God, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. I mean, you can see the allusion to the ascension, right? The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. 
After a long time, the master of those servants returned. This is the return of Christ, the second advent, and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. And I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I know it's a very merry parable for this Christmas season. But this is one that conveys the sense of responsibility that is conferred on you and I as Jesus is sending us forth. I mean, it all starts like this. The kingdom of God is like a man who went on a journey, that being Jesus to heaven. And he called his servants together. He called the disciples together and entrusted them with his wealth, these bags of gold. And they each receive a different amount, right? Someone who receives five bags of gold, that's the translation, two bags of gold, one receives one bag of gold. And, and these in the original language, they're, they're referred to as talents. Five talents, two talents, one talent. And it's not the kind of talent like where someone could tie the stem of a cherry in a knot with just their tongue, which, by the way, my father can do. Yeah, a little fun fact about Stephen Shea, when he's serving you coffee and donuts when they're back out here in the promised land of California, just say, hey, I know your talent. He's going to love that. He's probably listening right now. We won't make him prove it. But it's not that kind of talent, all right? It's a unit of measure in the ancient world to have a sum of wealth. Specifically, each talent was the equivalent of about 20 years of daily wages. So what we're talking about is someone receiving 20 years of daily wages, somebody else receiving 40, somebody else receiving 100. We think about it in terms of Huntington Beach, the median household income is about $100,000, give or take, a few thousand. And some of you, oh, wow. Okay, I'm concerned for myself. <laughs> that would add up to about $10 million for the servant who received the most. Still, you know, a cool, like, $2 million, you know, $1 million, uh, for the others. So think that this is not a small sum of money. This is a significant amount of wealth that has been entrusted to these servants to manage. Now, this is a parable, so remember that we're not just talking about wealth. Wealth is a metaphor for these resources that these servants are being endowed with. You know, you could think of it like abilities, natural abilities, you know, your natural blessings and inheritance in this life. It could be your financial resources. It could be the amount of time that you have in this life, right? It's all these various resources that come from the master. And everybody has a different amount. 
You know, some people have more of this, some people have more of that. That's really beside the point. The point is no matter what you have, and we all have something, that the mission is the same. The commission is the same. We're all to be about the master's work. The servants were all to be about the master's work no matter what resources were given. So what did they do with the deposit? Well, the first two individuals, one with the five bags and one with the two bags, both double the investment while the master is away. And, and, they, and they actually, you know, increase the amount of wealth that's been invested in them. They invested in the right way. But the, the last servant, he, he takes that bag of gold and he buries it in the ground. This wasn't an uncommon way in the ancient world of, of saving valuable items. I mean, where are you going to hide valuables in the ancient world? You know, you're wearing the ancient equivalent of a muumuu and you live in a 10 by 10 dirt house. Where do you put stuff? How do you, how do you save stuff from theft? Well, you dig a hole in the ground and you bury it. So he's, he's trying to save that wealth for the future. Now, after a long time, it says the master returned. And the first two individuals, they present uh, the initial investment that the master gave them along with how they have doubled that investment. Both in turn received the same response. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've done good with a little. Now I'm going to give you a lot more. Come and enter into the master's happiness. Now there's a few things to consider in those statements. The, f- the, the fact that they're called good and faithful. That's where I want to begin. Why are they called good? Well, they're called good because they reflected the character and work of their master. They continued on with the work of their master. You know, what is that work? Well, that work is defined in the following parable, which I referred to last week really quickly. It's the parable of the sheep and the goats, right? It's the folks who visit those who are in prison, who, who care for the sick, who invite in the foreigner and the stranger. They feed the hungry. They give water to the thirsty. Those are the good works. Those are the, the actions that reflect the character and the work of the master. So they're called good. They're also called faithful, because they continued on with the work even though the master was gone for a long time. You know, some of you know that I was fired from the first job I ever had in Mervyn's, California, in Arizona, got to clarify, because uh, I had a habit of laying down when my supervisor would walk away. You know, I was in charge of the men's department at age 15, and I would just lay down when the supervisor would walk away. And somehow, of course, security cameras, the supervisor would know and just show up at every instance that I would lay down. That is what we call in the business unfaithful. Okay? I was unfaithful. And then as such, I was separated from the company through a letter. Which makes sense. But, you know, that's spiritually how a lot of people live. Consciously or unconsciously. You know, Jesus is a long time in coming. You know, the supervisor has walked away. And so it's time to kick up our feet to relax a little bit, to not really concern ourselves with the work of God. We get distracted by a lot of other things. I mean, there's a lot of people in this country who better hope Jesus returns on a Sunday. Because that's the only day of the week where they've given any thought to anything spiritual. In fact, there's probably a lot of Americans who really should hope that Jesus returns on Christmas Eve because that's the only service they're going to go to in the entire year, the only time they're going to give any energy or thought to the things of God. Because consciously or unconsciously, they let their guard down. They're lazy. They're unfaithful. Faithful would have been me still folding the jeans after my supervisor walked away. And I might still have access to that Mervyn's California job to this day, if I wanted it. And faithful, in the same sense spiritually, is when we give ourselves day to day to the master's work that he's entrusted into our hands, ready for him to 
return. Now, interestingly, when the master returns, he says to the first two that they were faithful with a little. A little? You think about that. 20 years of wages turned into 40 years of wages. $10 million turned into $20 million for a servant. That's a little that they were faithful with? That seems like a lot. It's all about comparison. It's perspective. Now, I'm very tall when I stand next to my wife. Sorry, Whitney. I appear tall. But when I stand next to a seven-foot basketball player, if I stand next to Jim Worthy, Jim Worthy, one of our elders out there, right? He, he, he feels like he's seven feet tall. He's, I think he's only a couple inches taller than me. No offense, Jim. But, but when I look at him, I just feel like he needs to hold me or something. Like, he's that much bigger than me. Like, I look small. It's, it's about perspective and comparison. And in that sense, 200 years of daily wages of good work for God is nothing. It's a little compared to what we receive when we enter into the happiness, the joy of our master. Think about what the joy and the happiness is of an infinite God. And that's when you realize the most we could possibly do in this life is very little compared to what we will receive. Now for the bad news. The final servant who buried the bag of gold, he gets called to account as well. And he starts off right away with blame displacement. It's the master's fault. You know, here's, here's what I did. Okay, you know, I started out with it. You know, let me think about this here. I was thinking about you, you know, and I knew you were a hard man. I knew that you, you harvest what you do not sow. And, and, and you, you know, you're reaping and you're gathering where you did not scatter seeds. So you're basically like, you know, a no-nonsense Shark Tank investor, okay? I get that you're that way. So I didn't want to disappoint you. I was afraid of you. So I, I, I you know, dug up a hole. I put the wealth in there. And, and, you know, here it is. I returned it to you. You know, and that was his rationalization for inaction, for not doing anything, was this fear of the master, was it this fear that he was going to invest it wrong? Was this this fear of mismanagement? Well, guess what? That was a self-fulfilling prophecy because it did end up in mismanagement. It was inaction. That was mismanagement. I mean, ask any woman who's waiting for their boyfriend to finally pop the question. Okay? Inaction is inaction. It's the wrong action, right? Doing nothing is doing something in their mind. Am I right? I'm making some people very uncomfortable right now. Christmas is a great time to propose. Now, you know, that's just an aside. Inaction is inaction. Doing nothing is doing something. It's not doing the right thing. So the master runs this servant back through this rationalization. So you knew who I was. You knew that I was jealous for my resources. You know, that, that I reap the things I don't sow. And you thought in your mind that you should just bury this in the ground and not at least put this in the bank to get a little bit of interest. You are wicked. And lazy for thinking that. Now, I think we read this and we go, whoa, 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 whoa. What's going on here? How is this servant wicked? How are they wicked? Well, it has nothing to do with something they did and did wrong. It has everything to do with what they didn't do. Just like the next parable in Matthew chapter 25, the sheep and the goats. Jesus says to the goats, you didn't visit me. You didn't care for me. You didn't feed me. It had nothing to do with them 
doing all these other things that were improper. It was the fact that they didn't carry on with the master's work. Here the master had entrusted this individual with resources to carry on his efforts in the world and he did nothing with it. So he's referred to as first of all wicked and second of all lazy. This word for lazy here means to be tardy, to drag one's feet, to show up late. More figuratively, it means that you're unwilling to act, you're hesitating. You know, I was approved for, in the first time in the ministry, a sabbatical. I get a sabbatical in the month of August. It's going to be about six weeks, July through, you know, the first week of September. It's the first time uh, in 11 years. So I'm going to have a sabbatical. It's very nice. So I want to thank the elders for that. I was supposed to have one pre-COVID. COVID came and that wasn't a sabbatical. I sort of had a sabbatical when I was fired from Rock Harbor. It was unintentional. And the moral of the story is I've been fired from every job I've ever had, apparently. <laughs> but here, you know, I've got this chunk of time. We've got six weeks as a family, and we've got to maximize it. What are we going to do? And I'm laying out all the different options. We could do this. We could do this. When is this ever going to happen again? You know, I need, I need to really maximize. This needs to be everything. So I'm investigating this. I'm investigating that. I've spent so much time. It's nine months away. And guess what? I've got nowhere. I've got nowhere. I've spent tons of time. I'm not anywhere closer to making a decision. And that's exactly the spirit of the laziness of the servant. It was inaction. It was that hesitation. It was going back and forth. Should I do this? Should I do that? And then it ends up with nothing. Nothing. I mean, the question is for us today, how many of us spend a lot of time thinking about what God wants us to do? You know, every Sunday we come, we, we get inspired. We, oh, it's this. Oh, it's that. And we're thinking through all those things, but we're never getting to the place where we just act on the things God wants us to do. It's a lot of thoughts about what he may want us to do, but it's never following through on actually making it happen. That's that spirit of hesitation, of second-guessing, of being tardy. Now, ultimately, the cost for that servant is more than harsh words. The servant is told not only will they not have their share in the master's wealth, but they are going to be ejected to the outdoors where it's dark and there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. The image is stark. It's supposed to be. It's a place of constant crying. It's a place where there's growling and snarling like you'd see from a wolf. To me, it's a place of regret. It's a place of regret. That's the atmosphere. The sentiment of whatever that space is, is I wish I could go back and do it different. That's the weeping. That's the anger and frustration. I wish I could go back and do it different. And there are parables that indicate that very idea. So what do we get left with from this very stern and serious parable? I want to run us through just a few thoughts before we finish out our time. First of all, I want us to realize we have all been sent by Christ. We've all been commissioned by Christ. It's not the folks who work for a church. It's every single person who's placed their faith in Jesus is being commissioned and sent by Christ. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. We've all been entrusted with the metaphorical wealth of our master. We have different resources. We've had different experiences. We have different natural abilities. We have different giftings of the Holy Spirit. But we have the same work to do. Proclaiming Christ building up his church, evidencing who God is in our works. 
Sure, we've been endowed with different resources, but Christ is going to return and he's going to test each one of us on our work. That's the second point that I want to identify. Our work is going to be tested. Your work is going to be tested. You know, we are not guilty by association, but we're also not rewarded by association. You know, each person received a different endowment of resources, and each one is called to account individually for their work. Okay? You aren't rewarded because you're associated with that good and faithful spouse. You're not rewarded because you're associated with that good and faithful ministry or church community. You're not rewarded based on your neighbors, brothers, sisters, second cousin, twice removed. You know, none of that has any bearing on our work that is going to be tested. Now, good and faithful work is going to be rewarded. That's the third thing that we need to understand. Those who do what is good, they're going to be rewarded. Those who enter into the suffering of this world rather than insulate themselves from it. Those who share a message that sets people free from slavery to sin, they're going to be rewarded. Those who bring that sense of wholeness and healing to everyone and everything that they touch because the Holy Spirit is working through them, they're going to be rewarded. The faithful workers are going to be rewarded. Those who are laboring day in and day out, even though the laborers around them are few. Those who at times are threatened by the darkness of this world and they feel discouraged and yet they say, you know what, I'm going to put up a protest against the darkness. I'm going to shine the light of Christ all the more and I'm going to keep on doing it no matter what happens. Those are the faithful workers that are going to be rewarded. They're going to trade in their little, the little that is their good works at the end of this life because it's always a little compared to God. And they're going to receive an inheritance of eternal, infinite happiness and joy with their master. Now, I've got to, find, I got to, I got to finish with this you know, final warning here that our inaction will be punished. That's the sobering truth of this passage. It wasn't that the final servant did all these bad things and that necessitated punishment. It was all that he didn't do. It was all the inaction it was the fact that he didn't busy himself with the master's work. Now, I'm not saying it's the good works of the first two that got them saved, and it's the errors of the last one that meant that he was sent into sorrow and weeping and gnashing of teeth, but it's clear that the faith of the first two in the master's work was so transformative that they carried on the master's work, and that the final servant had no evidence of the outworking of this faith in the master. And so prove that his faith was as good as dead. And look, we can worry about it and we can argue about all the theological details of what leads to the infinite happiness of our master and what leads to this outcome of sorrow. You know, just like that final servant sat around all day and rationalized his inaction because of the character of the master. You know, that, that was his reasoning. Okay, I'm just, I can figure out a way that I don't have to do anything. Why would we think about that? From that perspective, I mean, if we are those who have faith in Christ, if we are those who've received the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we're not thinking about how we can rationalize not doing the work of Jesus. We're just getting on with the work of Jesus. 
We're just being empowered by the Holy Spirit to carry on the work, anticipating the joy that is ours to share in Jesus. Just as Jesus was sent, so he is sending you and I. Empowered with the wealth and resources of our master, filled with the Holy Spirit to continue on his work in the world. So what I want to do is commission all of you this week, because there is time still left in this season to get on with the work of the master. There is time still in this season to invite someone else to join you in your family festivities, to join you on Christmas Eve that they might hear the gospel and experience spiritual transformation. Better yet, there's still time for you to share a testimony of what God has done in your own personal life. There is still time for you to cut a check to someone who's in need. There's still time for you to support a ministry that needs your support on into the new year. There's still time for you to invite in that isolated neighbor, to give time for the person who's been neglected, to consider the person who at this time is grieving. I talked to three people out on the patio, beautiful people, happy people, praising God. They have real grief in this season. There's still time for us to remember them and be a comfort them to them, to encourage our brothers and sisters in the faith that are discouraged in this season. There's still time for us to seize this calling that we have, to live into the very same calling that Jesus had. So I want to commission you this morning. Would you stand with me? I know we normally just, we just sit and we pray, but I really want us to stand and receive this, this commissioning. And Lord, I pray, I pray for all my brothers and sisters in this branch's community. Lord Jesus, we come before you humbled. We feel like those disciples sometimes just staring up at the sky, dumbfounded. All this responsibility conferred on us. How can we do this? How can we carry on your work? How can we live into your perfect example? And yet, Lord, you said you'd be with us to the very end of the age. You, you sent the Holy Spirit to empower us to be more than we are in and of ourselves. And Lord, we come before you in humility furthermore because we're clinging to the cross and your grace and your forgiveness. Lord, our work is not always good. Our work is not always faithful. Sometimes our lives are characterized by inaction, hesitation. We think, should I, shouldn't I? It keeps us from moving, obeying what you've done, following your example. And Lord, we're just clinging to the cross. We know that it's only by your grace that any of us enters into your eternal joy. So Lord, through our faith in you, through our, through our trust in your redeeming power, we're asking that you would make us into, by your Holy Spirit, those servants who get on with the work that you've called us into, who take the resources, who take the blessings, who take the abilities that you've endowed us with, and we pour them back out for service in your kingdom. Lord, send us out this week, not to self-indulge, but to glorify you. Lord, send us out to those who are isolated, to those who are grieving, to those who are mourning, to those who are hurting. Lord, let us open our doors. Let us open our hearts. Let us speak of your goodness. Lord, as you 
were sent into this world, so send us with the spirit of every single one of these disciples, every single one of these followers of you, be a yes. When an opportunity presents itself, no hesitation, no wondering, am I gonna go, am I not? Just yes, would that be our heart? Would that be our instinct in this next week, Lord? Place opportunities before us and Lord, let us just move on them. Let us just speak your words. Let us just bring your heart into every interaction that we have. No more hesitating, Lord, just doing your work. Send us forth in that spirit, the prompting of your Holy Spirit. And in your power, in your name, I pray this. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to the Branches HB podcast. For more information on Branches, you can visit our website at brancheshb.com or stay up to date with us on Instagram at brancheshb. As always, we'd love to have you at one of our Sunday gatherings. So come visit us at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m. Locations are available on our website. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.